Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Local Youth Worker, a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. I'm your host, John Parrott. I'm really excited to get to this interview with Beckett Cook. Before we do that, let me remind you about our track student series of booklets. Uh, We're excited to announce our next three booklets, which should be out in stores in June. Uh, We will have a student's guide to glorification by Dr. Derek Thomas. We have a student's guide to navigating culture by Dr. Walt Mueller and a student's guide to the power of story by RYM's own Joe Deegan. Uh, We're really excited about these booklets and we will hopefully continue to release uh, six or so each year. Uh, So we've got one on anxiety, one on sanctification, and one on technology that have already released and now these next three should be available soon. So be sure to check out Amazon or Christian Focus publications as we have produced these in partnership with Christian Focus. Uh, We're excited to get these out to you and we uh, hope and pray that they are a blessing to your ministry, to your students, to your families. Right now, here's my interview with Beckett. Today I have Beckett Cook joining the podcast. Uh, Beckett, welcome. Thank you, John. Good to be here. Yes, Beckett is the author of A Change of Affection, A Gay Man's Incredible Story of Redemption. He serves as the host of The Beckett Cook Show on YouTube and has contributed to the Gospel Coalition, among other places. Uh, Beckett, you also formerly served as a production designer in Hollywood, and I know we're going to get into some more parts of your story, but maybe that's a good place for us to to begin. What exactly does a production designer in Hollywood do? That's a good question. People ask that all the time. Well, there's different ones. Uh, there's movie production designers and TV production designers, but I I didn't work in that world. I worked in the fashion world. So I, I did, I production designed, meaning like doing the set design, doing kind of the, anything that was visual on the shoot. So I did, uh, I worked in the fashion world for, for magazines such as Vogue and Harper's Bazaar and for for brands like Nike and Gap and Yves Saint Laurent. Like, so I basically worked as a production designer, set designer on photo shoots and sometimes commercials as well. So uh, I did that for, I think 17 years until I got blacklisted in Hollywood. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was was gonna say, I'll I'll name drop for you. I mean, I know you you said that you worked with Katy Perry, Paris Hilton, someone named Oprah um, among- Oprah, uh, yeah. uh, Yes. So as as you think back on that that time in Hollywood, what what are some of the things that you think of, wow, that was kind of fun to be able to have that opportunity? Yeah, I mean, the, the shoots were super fun. And I mean, they were also very, very stressful because when you have- kind of the biggest talent in the world and you're, and there's, you know, all these people around you and there's a lot of pressure (laughs) to perform and everything has to be perfect and it all has to happen in one day or two days or whatever. But it was fun. You know, I, I, as you said, I, I basically worked with every actor, actress in the world, like George Clooney, Julia Roberts, like everyone, Meryl Streep. I worked with everyone basically in Hollywood and, Mm -hmm and became friends with a lot of people in that world and um it was it was a it was a fun time but it was it was definitely a, a roller coaster ride and you know a lot of intense kind of moments and uh and a lot of fun you know i worked with the best photographers in the world or the best directors in the world and um so that was like so 
It was it was like that being on the set was actually, you know, exciting and fun. I mean, I was at Paris Hilton's house. We I did like three. I don't know why we shot her so many times, but <laughs> I was at her house like three different times. And and I it was fun like that. It's like in those moments, because this was after I got saved. I was at her house and I was just like I was sharing the gospel with everyone and her everyone on the sh on the shoot. And like there was this one moment that I remember that was so great. And Paris was like in the backyard, like by the pool and everyone was kind of scattered for a moment, like because it was a really frenetic day. But there was this moment where I had in the kitchen in her kitchen and the producer was in the kitchen at the same time. And we just started chatting and the producer said, oh, so she said something about being raised Catholic. And I was like, oh, I was raised Catholic too. And like, and then that opened the door. Like, and I just yeah. told her my whole story and she was like, what? Like, <laughs> I want to talk to you more about this. And wow. so we've, we've struck up, you know, a, a friendship and a dialogue and, and we're still talking and she's very interested in, in Christ and, so like there's all all kinds of stuff like that would happen on the set. So wow. <laughs> it was like, it was kind of a wild time. I just remembered I was working with on a Katy Perry. I worked with Katy Perry several times, but I was on a shoot with her and her stylist is this guy, Johnny and Johnny Wujek. And Johnny is gay and he, uh, I saw, you know, I saw him, I, ha I hadn't seen him in, in a couple of years and I saw him and I was like telling him my story. I was like, oh my gosh, Johnny, like I'm a Christian now. It's crazy. And, and you know, Katy Perry's getting ready for the shoot and she's overhearing everything. And, um, and so I literally like spent, I don't know, 30 minutes telling Johnny about the gospel and Jesus. And, and, uh, and then finally Katy Perry comes out and she's like, okay, guys, the Bible study's over. We got to get to work. <laughs> I was like, okay. But anyway, that was a funny moment. Wow. Okay. This is one of those moments where I, I just need to throw out my notes. We should have completely gone in that <laughs> direction. Um, it's, it's amazing to hear uh, just, yeah, all that you have done in your quote unquote previous life. And again, we might kind of dip back into that um, because many of our listeners may be familiar with your story, but I'd love for, for us to start at that coffee shop in LA that you, you share uh, in your book, uh, when you and your friend Ryan noticed, you know, a, a Romans commentary and, uh, you yes. said, I think the only Bible that you had seen in, in Los Angeles. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a, an amazing day because, you know, I, my, my best friend, Ryan, it may not be his real name in the book. Uh, I had to change some names, but my best friend and I would spend, you know, every, we would spend so much time together. We spent almost every evening together. We would go to dinner. I spent a four, <laughs> I spent my life savings on going to fancy restaurants in LA, <laughs> but uh, we would go to dinner every night. And then on the weekends we would go to brunch and, you know, and this out our favorite restaurant in Venice near the beach. And then we would drive across, town to the east side and go to this coffee shop called intelligentsia and that was kind of our weekend thing like every like saturday and sunday we would do the same thing and um i call it gay church uh but uh so we we were at in this coffee shop and i you know i had never seen a bible in la in public since and I, I've lived here since 1993, and I've ne I had never seen a Bible. I had never met one Christian. 
-hmm. not once. And suddenly I see this man, young man, maybe, you know, in his early thirties, walking out of the coffee shop onto the patio where we were. And he's carrying a book and on the spine of the book, it says Romans. So I, I, I kind of knew, I didn't know it was a commentary, but I knew it had to do with Christianity. And so, uh, that was a shocking sight to see. And I, I was like, whoa. And then my friend saw it too. And we kind of looked at each other like, what is that? And, and then he walked over to a table right next to us. And that was really the, <laughs> that was really the jackpot. He walked over and there were kind of five, I think five or six young people sitting there and they all had Bibles on the table and he went and greeted them. Obviously he knew them and I, I looked it over and I saw all these Bibles and I looked at my friend and I was like, what is that? And my friend looked at me and he's like, what? And he, we were both so surprised. And my friend grew up in New York, New York, and he basically grew up in a, an atheistic, he basically grew up in an atheist communist family family. Mm-hmm. And, and so we were just like, kind of like, what is happening here? And, and he, uh, he turned, he, he loved to kind of engage in controversial conversations and he loved to kind of like do that. So he, he was like, Beckett, like ask them, (laughs) well, ask them what they're doing. Like, you know, talk to them. I'm like, no, I'm not going to talk to them. And he kept, he kept urging me to do it. And so finally I was like, I turn around, you know, and I say, you know, what are you guys like Christians? What's the deal? Because at one point before I talked to them, they they bowed their heads and started praying, which was even weirder to see in LA. <laughs> I was like, that's really crazy. So I, you know, I said, are you guys Christians? And uh, it's kind of a, a an evangelicals fantasy for someone to say, hey, are you guys Christians? <laughs> What's the gospel? Um, and so I, I said, uh, what do you, and they said, yeah, we're evangelical Christians. We go to this, you know, evangelical church in Hollywood called reality LA. And, and, um, and I said, well, what do you believe? Cause I, I actually, I, cause I was actually curious at that point in my life, I had done everything, known everyone, been friends with movie stars, pop stars, like for, you know, I, I had been everywhere, went to Prince's house where he performed a concert in his backyard for two hours, three hours. And, I mean, so many things I had experienced so much and traveled the world. And, and so I, I had gotten, and I had six months before that, that day I was at Paris fashion week. And that was a a seminal moment. That was a turning point in my life because I, I used to go to fashion weeks in New York and Paris a lot. And that year I was, you know, went to the bunch, all the shows and I went to the after parties and cause the fashion shows have, after parties and and I was just at this after party and I just suddenly felt and everyone was there. It was this this was March of two thousand nine and everyone was there. I mean Kanye West was there. All just everyone from the fashion world and I I just remember feeling just total emptiness come over me and I was like what like what's going on I and I felt like this stuff cannot sustain me anymore. Like I've, I've done, I've, I've chased after shiny objects my whole life. 
and it's been really fun and it's been a really fun ride. I've been, you know, I used to go to the Oscars, the Emmys, the Golden Globes all the time and the after parties and the HBO parties and the Vanity Fair parties. And, and I've done all that stuff and I've met everyone and I've been to all the dinner parties at movie stars houses. And like, I, I can't, this can't be my life anymore. Like I've done it for so long and it's not going to sustain me anymore. And I don't know what is. And I just was in a panic because I really felt completely empty. And I, so I left the party and went back to my hotel and I just was up all night kind of just like, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? Like, I can't just go on like this. And, you know, of course, I, I don't know if we've even gotten into this, but I, I was living as a gay man, you know, for my whole life, my whole adult life. And I had been through, you know, I had many boyfriends and um, had five very serious relationships. And so I had kind of done it all. And I, and I just was left feeling really empty that night in Paris. And then cut to six months later, I'm at, we're at the coffee shop. And so by that time, I was open to something. I was open to something different than what the life I was living. And so when they told me they were Christians, I was, I was genuinely curious. And so I said, you know, tell me about your faith. What do you believe? I grew up Catholic. I don't even know, really. I don't remember. Like, tell me what your beliefs are. And they, they basically told me the gospel and what they believe. And, and we, we, we had a really nice talk and it was kind of, it went on for a while, like an hour or two. And, but of course, you know, I get to the $64,000 question <laughs> and I said, well, what, and, and, I, and I kind of knew what the answer was going to be to this question, but I said, you know, I asked, what does your church in Hollywood believe about homosexuality? And they said, well, we believe it's a sin. And, and again, the reason I didn't kind of storm off or the reason I didn't just like turn around and, and dismiss them is because of that experience I had six months before in Paris. I just was like, okay. And I just had this moment of what if I've built, what if God does exist? I mean, I bet by that point I was an atheist and I was like, what? there's a slim chance. There's a tiny, tiny chance that God does exist. And there, if he does exist, there's a there's a chance that homosexual behavior is a sin. And what if I've built my entire life on this false foundation and I don't know it? Hmm. So when they told me that, I just kind of accepted it. And I was like, huh, okay. And then they invited me to come to their church the following Sunday. And I honestly didn't know if I was gonna go because it was it was very risky. Especially, you know, because like I would be betraying my people, you know, mm -hmm. the gay community by going to an evangelical church. And um, and plus, it was just kind of like risky just as a person, like just to kind of put myself out there. And, you know, it's scary. It's scary to like walk into a church and not an evangelical church and not really know anything about it. And so I said, well, just give me the address of the church. And uh I'll think about it. So they gave me the the address and and I, I had a week to think about it. And I really kind of went back and forth the whole week. I was like, should I should I go? Should I stay? Should I not? And and uh, finally, 
that next Sunday morning, I woke up and I just found myself in my car driving to this church, which I, you know, it meets in a high school auditorium uh, in an LA public high school auditorium, which is, I, I don't even know how we're able to do that still <laughs> scandalous. Um, and so we, I, I, I didn't know what to expect because I'd never been to an evangelical church and I was just used to stained glass windows, <clears throat> stained glass windows and, and kind of bells and whistles and vestments and, you know, smoke. And so I didn't know what to expect. And I, um, I walked in and it was just like this, this auditorium, a plain auditorium, you know, and I was, I was kind of surprised at that. And just, I actually appreciated that it was so kind of just spare and not, there wasn't a lot of stuff going on. It was just very mm -hmm. simple. And then I, I, I kind of, I found my seat near the front of the church or the front of the auditorium. And I just sat by myself. Cause I, I didn't even know where the people were who invited me. Uh, they didn't, they didn't like find me or anything. So I, I just sat by myself and near the front and the pastor came out, Tim Chaddock was the pastor at the time. He came out and I was like, Oh my gosh, there was that guy with the Romans thing commentary. <laughs> That's the guy. So he was the pastor of this church. <clears throat> and I, he started preaching on, he was pre, he was doing a two year series on the book of Romans. Like he was going, you know, ex expository preaching mm -hmm. verse by verse by verse. And, um, he was happened to be in Romans seven at the time. And which is kind of a weird, you know, passage. It's uh, the, when Paul's talking about why do I do the things I don't want to, you know, that passage, it's, it's kind of a weird passage to be introduced to Christianity to, you know, but Tim, I don't know what he was saying. It's just like the whole sermon was infused with the gospel. And I, I don't know how he did it, but I, I just remember thinking, this is the gospel? Like, I, this is turning everything I thought religion was on its head. This, this is good news. Like, I, it was the first time in my life, even though I'd been raised in the Catholic Church, went to Jesuit schools my whole life, it was the first time my ears were open, really, that, that I full, fully heard and understood the gospel for for the first time in my life. And I was like, whoa, like this is amazing. And so I was totally riveted to the sermon and on the edge of my seat. And then he's, you know, his sermons are an hour long and I just was like, don't stop. Just keep talking. Like whatever you're saying is true. And I don't know why it's true. Like I just, <laughs> it's true. Keep talking. So he, he finally finished a sermon and he walked off this, the stage and there were people on the prayer team on the sides of the church during the second set of worship, which lasts 30 minutes. So there's, so he said, you know, if you want prayer for anything, there's people on the side for prayer. And so I, I kind of had another moment of like, should I go over there? If I walk over to the side of this auditorium, it could be humiliating and people are probably watching me. And so I'm like, ah, oh, whatever, I'm here. So I walk over to the side and I go up to this guy and uh, I just, I said, and again, it's, it's Christian fantasy come true. I was like, I don't know what I believe, but I'm here. Mm -hmm. And he said, 
okay, let me pray for you. And he prayed for me. And it was really, it just was so, it seemed so powerful and so loving the prayer. And I was just like, wow, like, how does this random stranger love me so much? And why is he praying for me in this way? It was just so, it was just so profound. And then I went back to my seat and I, I sat down while everyone else was standing and singing and worshiping. I sat down in my seat because I was kind of just too freaked out by everything. I was so overwhelmed. And once I sat down, the like seconds later, the Holy Spirit just, just, it was like a road to Damascus moment. It was just like, God just revealed himself to me in that moment. And he said, and, and all in my mind, God said, I'll never forget this. Like he said, I'm God. Jesus is my, Jesus is my son. Heaven is real. Hell is real. The Bible is true. Welcome to my kingdom. <laughs> and it was that moment of, I was, I was totally convicted of sin in that moment. And I started bawling uncontrollably. And I mean, it was such a, an amazing experience because it was like, almost like, it's like, you know, Christian and uh, in Pilgrim's Progress, when that burden is lifted off of him, it just felt like, I think at the wicket gate, um, Derek Thomas would know, I think. But uh, so I felt this, I felt such conviction of sin, but I felt this enormous weight come off of me. And it was just like, it was the most like freeing experience I've ever had. And, and so I was crying and crying and crying for the next 30, you know, 25 minutes. And, and I just was, it was like Isaiah when he's in the temple and he sees the holiness of God and he just comes undone. And that's what was happening. I just was like, I was heaving. I was literally doubled over at crying and heaving. And I was born again in that moment. And and just really quickly, so it happened again. Like when I I got home after the service, got in bed to take a nap and God, it was like Moses when he's in the cleft of the rock and God passes by with his glory. And I was in my bed and God was like, let me show you some more of my glory. When I just was like, whoa. And it just was like the most intense amount of love and and I, and I jumped out of my, and I just immediately burst into tears, jumped out of my bed. And I, in the middle of my bedroom, I was like, God, you have my whole life. Like I'm, I'm done. Like I'm done. This is it. I, and I just was sobbing and sobbing again. And I knew, I knew to the core of my being, I knew for a fact, like the, I, that homosexual behavior was a sin. I knew it was wrong. I knew that dating guys was no longer a part of my future and I didn't but I didn't care because I just met Jesus and I'm like I'm going with that guy forget those guys like like and that was September 20th 2009 and I have never looked back and I I've been single and celibate since and I I'm happy I'm more I mean I'm more than happy to be single and celibate like Paul uh and uh yeah so it's been a wild wild ride yeah it, it, it's an amazing story and as, as i read it in the book i'm I'm weeping and i'm rejoicing and get, getting chills to think about 
all of this, this happening. And, and I mean, along those lines, as you just said, and you write this in your book, after you attend church, you have this powerful conversion. You, you said the thought came to mind of, okay, what about dating men? You know, because at this point in your life, you had been practicing homosexual for years. You said you had marched in pride parades. You saw kind of the Bible and Christians as the enemy. And so just walking us through those, those emotions. So just kind of like that, it was all, there was no kind of questioning of, well, maybe I could live this lifestyle. Just walk us through some of those thoughts. Yeah. I mean, as you mentioned, I, you know, every year I would go to gay pride parades in New York, San Francisco, LA. I remember one year I was in New York. I forgot what year it was. It was probably, I don't know. I don't remember, but, um, and it was early on. It was before, it was before homosexual behavior. It was so celebrated. Um, but I remember being on the street in New York and the parade was going by. And then there, there was like this phalanx of police officers marching and i was like oh that's so cool like these police officers are are pro gay like blah, blah blah and then suddenly like out of you know the suddenly hillary clinton appears and i'm like and i was all you know it was so it was kind of this weird moment like i was excited because i was you know at that time into that um and so but i marched in gay marriage rallies i um i attended gay pride parades all the time like i you know <laughs> I did it all. So when that day, September 20, 2009, when that happened to me, when God rescued me, there was like, not only was there no doubt in my mind that that wasn't, that it, that it was sinful, that life was, that life was sinful. Uh, but I didn't even care. Like I didn't even give it a second's thought. Like I was just like, I'm done. Like I'm done and I was happy to be done with that life because I think this is something that I think people don't really ever discuss. I think when you're living that life as a gay man or a gay woman or lesbian or whatever, if, when you're living that life, I think there is something inside you that is, is saying, there's something not quite right about this, even when you're not a Christian, like there's, I, it's weird. Like I, I lived that life and I embraced it fully and I had so much fun, but at the same time there was, I did have like, I mean, it may have just been subconsciously, but I had reservations about it. And so when, when that happened, when I got saved, I was just like, Praise God. Like, I don't, like, I am done. Because also at the, at the same time, people, I have friends like Mariska Hargitay was a very close friend of mine. She's the star of Law and Order SVU. And she would always try to set me up with, with guys. And like, and all my friends would try to set me up with guys. And it was just like this constant thing. Like if I wasn't in a relationship, people were trying to set me up. And it was like, stressful you know it was like oh, i have to go on this blind date and uh, so when that when that happened i was like oh my gosh i don't have to go on dates anymore <laughs> praise god <laughs> like no more of that stuff and and uh it was just so i mean it was god's grace because god god made it so abundantly clear to me <laughs> that 
that life was that it wasn't who I was and that it was sinful and and it wasn't being gay was not my identity. I, he made it so crystal clear that uh, I just am so thankful for that because I thought when that happened to me, I thought that happened to everyone who was a Christian. I thought that kind of conversion happened to everyone. But as I, as the years have gone on, I've, I've realized that that doesn't necessarily happen and, it, and things aren't so crystal clear, you know, in, at the, in the beginning or even later, like, and so, but I knew, I mean, I, I immediately became pro-life. Like I was pro, I was super pro-choice before and, you know, friends with Ariana Huffington and when, you know, I would go to, I would go to, um, pro-choice kind of not rallies, but pro-choice like parties basically. And all my friends of course were pro-choice. And I mean that this, that day, the second I got saved, I was like, boom, like pro-life. I, I immediately, God just was like, you are made in the image of God. You're made in my image. And I understood the Imago day like immediately. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm pro-life now. Not only am I... <laughs> <laughs> no longer going to live as a gay man. I'm pro-life too. And I mean, it changed everything. Like it changed my whole worldview. Like it changed my, everything I thought about the world. Like, obviously I was like a Rousseauian basically. I, you know, and, and I suddenly became an Augustinian and, or, you know, I understood original sin. I understood the fall. I understood, um, because I, I remember, Politically, I used to be very politically left, and and I I I was a I was a utopianist. I used to believe that utopia was possible on this earth, which is which is what a lot of people, when there's no God in the picture, they can believe that. And obviously, in the 20th century, we we saw the disaster that was when you know millions upon millions of people were killed or starved to death because of communism. Uh, and utopianism, but I believed, I really did believe that if everyone just had the right ideology and the right political philosophy, that the world would be perfect. And, and one day we could just get there. And of course, as soon as I got saved, I was like, oh my gosh, original <laughs> sin, like the fallen world, we like, there's not, utopia is impossible. <laughs> until Christ returns. Like there's no possibility of utopia because we're sinful, we're depraved. And uh, so anyway, that was another kind of like light bulb moment that day. Hmm. Man, that, that's amazing. And there, there's so much there to unpack, but but something you bring up is, is your family. You talk about your family a good bit in the book and you share their just overwhelming excitement at your conversion. And, and I'd love to hear just a little bit along those lines, what advice would you give to families who have either uh, family members or friends that are living a, a homosexual lifestyle? How can they lovingly communicate truth and maybe even using some of your own family's example? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, my family, it was funny. I, I was so kind of just overwhelmed by my conversion that I had to slowly tell my family because it was it was almost too much because I knew that the second I told them they were going to call me and want to talk about it. But I was like, I was in a newborn infant, you know, and I, I it was like I was in <laughs> I was in neonatal care. <laughs> and I, I didn't really even know how to talk yet. Like I was just barely, uh, you know, I, I just was like processing everything. And 
And so I rolled it out slowly because I have seven siblings who are all amazing Christians. And my parents are amazing. My parents are physically with Christ right now in his presence. They're both with Christ. Um, and so my, when I told my family, they were just blown away. They couldn't believe, cause I'm the youngest of eight and they were just like, what? Then they were just crying and crying and couldn't believe it. And the way, I mean, one of the, the examples of how a family member dealt, treated me, which was so great. First of all, when I came out to my parents, Actually, my sister told my parents uh, when I was like 22. And so I, I, but when they found out, my parents were very, very lovely about it. Um, I, and it, it has to do with a lot of things, but I think my parents, I was the, again, the youngest of eight. So they had been through so much <laughs> with seven <laughs> other kids that by the time they got to me, it was kind of like, it wasn't, it wasn't devastating to them. I mean, maybe it was like deep down, but it, it wasn't like this. And they, of course, my parents believed it was totally sinful. And like they were, they had the Orthodox biblical view of sexual, of sexual ethics. But, um, so my, but my parents were super, super loving to me when I, when they found out. And I remember my dad, said to me, he came up to me and he said, Hey Beck, I, you know, I heard that you're homosexual and, uh, is, you know, is there anything I did as a father that, that was I, you know, too hard on you? Did, you know, he asked me several questions and I was like, dad, and I just, I just kind of like stopped the, I was a kind of an awkward conversation. So I was like, dad, 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 like, it's not a big deal. This is just, it's, it's nobody's fault. Like, this is just who I am. And, and it's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. And so he, that was kind of the end of that. And then my mother, I walked into the kitchen one night and she started crying. This is right after I got back, moved back from Tokyo. That's how they all found out because my sister told them while I was in Tokyo. So when I, I walked into the kitchen and she was crying and I was like, mom, what's wrong? <laughs> And she's like, oh, I know you're homosexual. And I was like, mom. And I did this, you know, the same thing with my mom. We were very close. And I was like, mom, it's not a big deal. Don't worry about me. You know, I tried to just allay her fears. And and they were super just loving to me. They never tried to, they knew, they knew that I knew what they believed. You know, I, they, they understood that I... I already knew that. So they, there was no need for them to sit me down and lecture me and like read Bible passages to me from first Corinthians six or anything. Like they never once did that because there was no need to. And <clears throat> they didn't say, you know, Beckett, you know, this is like an abomination. Like they, like they just, they just kind of like were there for me and just loved me and didn't say anything, which was really cool. I look back on that time and I just am so thankful that they had the, whatever it was, the wisdom or just, they were just were too tired. <laughs> I just, I was, I'm so thankful that they were so gentle and loving to me um, because anything other than that is so unhelpful. Um, and my sister-in-law, to me was the 
was really one of the most amazing examples of an evangelical Christian. She, she and I were very close and she, of course, you know, had, she believed homosexual behavior was a sin very much so. And she, uh, she was a very strong evangelical Christian. And, uh, you know, every time I would go back to Dallas, we would hang out and she would always text me and say, you know, let's have coffee. I want to, I want to see you. And she was always so loving to me and we would hang out for with and have coffee and she would talk about God. I would talk about guys and she never really, you know, she never kind of like went there with me when I would talk about guys. Like she wouldn't kind of like join in and like celebrate that with me. She would just kind of listen. And, and I would just listen to her when she would talk about God. Like I just, you know, I didn't know what to say when she would do that. But, but she, ne again, she never once said, Hey Beckett, um, you know, you're sinning, right? And cause I, there would be no point to that. If she had done that to me, I would have never hung out with her again. Like I would just go back to LA and just like never contact her again. Cause like I, I, who, why would I need that in my life? Why would I need someone telling me quote who I was, which I thought that was who I was. Why would I want someone telling me that who I was was wrong? So I was just like, so happy that she was so loving and so gentle. And, and she also prayed for me for, and my family members prayed for me too, but she prayed Acts 26, 18 over me for, for like, I don't know, 15 years or so 20 years. I don't know how long, can't remember. But, um, and she prayed that verse, which I'll read right now. So yeah, Paul's speaking and, and he's talking about his, his own conversion and this is kind of breaks in the middle of a verse, but it's Acts chapter 26, verse 18. And she would pray this over me like every day. And it's <clears throat> the following to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by me and by faith in me. Mm. And after I got saved, she showed me in her Bible and it was like all <laughs> marked up there and like stars and check marks and notes. And um, so, yeah, she, she, so she did, she did what I think really most, really all you can do in these situations is love love that your child or your niece or nephew or your family member, love them generously. Obviously be clear about your convictions and where you stand on the issue, but love them generously and just pray for them mm -hmm. and fast for them, pray and fast. And that's what my family did. And, and, you know, 20 years later I got saved. <laughs> so it worked. That, that, that's amazing. And, and kind of along those lines, what's some advice to, to churches, I guess, more broadly uh, on being welcoming to, to strugglers? What, what do you think are some of those blind spots uh, that you need, that you think we, we need to be a little more aware of as we're seeking to be loving uh, to this community? The, the, the good part about this issue being so dominant in the culture is that churches can no longer just sort of ignore it or look the other way or sweep it under the rug they actually churches have to actually deal with this now um, and, and really be 
kind of well versed in what what it is, what it means to what 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 this whole kind of community is, the LGBTQ community. Um, I, that whole acronym or whatever it is, is so weird to me, but, um, it, back in the day it was just gay or lesbian, but now it's LGBTQ. But <clears throat> I think churches are doing a good job now of, I mean, the thing is, I don't really know how churches were before because I, I never, I didn't go to church. So <sighs> I've heard stories, you know, I heard stories of churches, whatever reacting badly to to people who you know were coming to their church who lived that lifestyle whatever but i never knew about that or experienced that so kind of i didn't have that baggage you know when i got saved but i've obviously now have heard a lot and read a lot about about some kind of bad experiences people have had and I think that churches are doing, I think they're, I mean, from what I can see, and because I speak at a lot of churches across the country, and what I can see is like, you know, churches are understanding this issue more fully and better. And there, there, there's a certain level of empathy now that is, is much greater than it used to be. And there's a, I think the understanding of the issue more and, and being surrounded by it in culture has helped pastors and has helped people in the church to better understand the issue and interact with people who are coming out of that life or, or, you know, are struggling with it or whatever. I think, I think that churches are now doing a really good job. I mean, I, I have, obviously I don't know all the churches in the country, but from the ones I've been to and ones I've spoken at, they they're really making a, a concerted effort to to be able to minister to people in in the lgbtq community and to to minister to 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 young people in the church who you know who are suddenly realizing that they have same-sex attraction and don't really know what to do with it and so i think you know churches are doing a good job um mm-hmm. so yeah yeah. Well, and something too, I wanted to ask you about is the topic of, of pornography. Um, it, it's something that's been discussed on this podcast numerous times. We actually just a few weeks ago had somebody talk about um, pornography. Um, you, you share in your story uh, that you were exposed to pornography around the, I think eight or nine years old is, is what you said. And you said that you didn't become you know, a homosexual because of that event, but you did say that there's a correlation. And I'd love for you to just kind of talk us through that a little bit, because I think that can be helpful for us as we think about both of these topics. Yeah. Well, interestingly enough, it was heterosexual. It was Playboy magazine. So it was, it was a heterosexual porno, uh, you know, it, this was back in the eighties or I, I don't know when it was seventies or eighties. And I was a little kid and my brother and I, who was, my brother was a year older and he and I went to a neighbor's house and his father, the na- this kid's father had Playboy magazines under the bed. And it, I just, I, he, he showed us these magazines and I, I was like, it was the first time I had ever seen anything sexual. And I, it just like, it immediately ignited this kind of 
this sexuality in me at a very young age. And I was like, whoa. And I, it was weird because I, it was like, I didn't know what to do with all these kind of feelings I was having because of that introduction to pornography. And then, so then it sort of transferred to the same sex because because that's who you hang out with, you know, when you're a kid, you hang out with guys. If you're a guy, if you're a little boy, you hang out with boys. And like, so it started to morph into, it just, I, it, it was almost like the sexuality, there was no place for it to go. So it started just going, I started feeling same sex attraction at a young mm -hmm. age. And then when I was nine years old, uh, I spent the night at a friend's house and I woke up in the middle of the night and his father was molesting me, which was also mm -hmm. another very, very um, hugely impactful experience in my mm -hmm. life. And, and it just happened that one time, but that really, I, I think that night, I think when you're molested as a kid, it really sends you, it sets you up to be very promiscuous later in life. Mm -hmm. And that's, I, from everyone I've known who's been molested as a kid, they have all been super promiscuous. And I, I think for whatever reason, however that works, it, that's, that's, that's in pornography and that, especially that kind of sets you up for promiscuity. Mm. Yeah. No, Thank you for sharing that for, for being so so vulnerable. I'm I'm thinking, you know, as we're living in a time where where many have placed the label on kind of just, you know, cancel culture. Um we're in a time where Amazon is pulling books off of the shelf and you're speaking about matters that are uh, very uh, controversial and uh you know, I know you wrote recently um about Elliot Page um and just uh, her transition. Um, I think it was December on the gospel coalition when that came out. Um, just curious when you, you write something like that, uh, what sort of response do you get, um, from the public from, you know, Twitter, which is always so gracious. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I, it's surprising the response because I, again, I just feel like God, he's had so much grace on me and so many things have happened over the years where he's just protected me. Even when I got first got saved and I was just like telling everyone the gospel and sharing every Jesus, telling everyone about Jesus on the set of these major photo shoots and with major, you know, celebrities and stuff. I thought for sure I was going to get canceled, you know, like while I was, I, I was just like, it's just waiting for the other shoe to drop. And it, I just thought, oh, this is just a matter of days before I get a call from my agent saying like, hey, you're no longer with us. <laughs> and and so I was surprised at the reaction from the Elliot Page article I wrote because, and I'm, I'm surprised at everything, you know, the book I wrote and, and, and the, the reaction to that. I mean, yeah, there were some people, some haters and some people who got upset, but for the most part, I just feel like God is just like, has me in this kind of bubble of protection and he's protecting me. I mean, I live in the heart of West Hollywood right here. I mean, it, you know, so, but I just feel like 
God, the kind of the bolder I get with the gospel. And I mean, I've always been bold with it since I got saved. And, but even just doing my YouTube show and, and just, I, it's just weird because I hope the shoe doesn't drop. God, please protect me still. But I, um, but I, yeah, I feel very protected by God. And I, and the reaction was most like 99.9% positive from that yeah. article. Hmm. That's a, that's encouraging to hear. Um, I know we're about to start wrapping this up. A question I'm, I'm just curious about, um, have you gone back to that coffee shop in Silver Lake? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, I've been back many, many times. Uh, and it's funny cause I used to go, I used to go there a lot, right. Especially right after I got saved I, for the, like the first few years after that, I would go there, you know, we, I would go there and meet up with kind of Christians from my church, um, a lot. Uh, but, and I would always have my Bible with me and have it out and conversations there with people. And, uh, it's been, it was a, yeah, it was an interesting time. I don't go there so much anymore. Um, I don't know why I just stopped kind of going to the East side of town, but, uh, yeah, I intelligentsia who knew. <laughs> well, look, uh, t tell us what you're doing now. How can people keep up with you? Get, give us a little bit of information on you. Yeah. So now, so God, uh, called me to seminary, which was crazy because I, this was in 2014, I, I just felt this pull to go to seminary and I didn't know why I felt like I was on a train and I couldn't get off. And I just, I was like, I, I have to go to seminary. I don't know why, but I just felt God was just like, you're going to seminary. And then God ended up paying for the whole thing, which was crazy. I went to Biola university, uh, Talbot, you know, Talbot school of theology. And and this was all while I was, you know, kind of still, I was still working as a production designer, but I had to turn down most of my jobs because of school. And so I, uh, I knew, and I graduated in 2017 and I knew that God was calling me to full-time ministry basically. Uh, and I knew he was calling me out of the production design world. Like I, it, it did kind of run its course. Like there was not, there was not much more I could, not much more I could do in that world. And so God, so after I graduated seminary, I like my, and then I immediately got a publishing deal for my book. And, and I, so I wrote that and or I wrote that uh, some of it in seminary, but I wrote the book and and but as soon as the book got published in 2019, um, my agent dropped me. My my agent who it was just like a weird thing. I got a weird email saying, you know, it was very vague and weird um, because I was still doing huge shoots and, you know, making them a lot of money. But they dropped me. And it, it was because really because it was untenable to for me with a book out in the world about this issue to be on the set with Jessica Chastain or to be on the set with Meryl Streep. Like it just wouldn't work. Cause if someone, if it had gotten out like on the set, it would just be, it would be very strange and weird. So I knew God was calling me into full-time ministry or into some kind of like basically ministry. And so since that, since that happened, since my, I got canceled in Hollywood, 
I've been, you know, I, I've, or even before that, I think I was, I, I speak at churches around the country. I speak at conferences and I, you know, because I, because I, I, it's like, I, I want to help people, Christians. I want to help the church understand this issue biblically, theologically, culturally, and personally from someone who's been on, <laughs> been on both sides of it and, and, uh, and been redeemed. And, and so that is like, to me, when, so when, I, when I started doing that kind of full time before COVID hit, I was basically tr- speaking every weekend at a different church. And when I was doing that, and I still am doing that now, but um, I just felt like, oh my gosh, this is the first time in my life that I'm actually in my true vocation. Hmm. Like this is my true calling. And all the other stuff I've been doing for so many years, the acting and the writing and all this other stuff and the production design, like that was, that was all like, not what I was supposed to be doing. Like, this is, this is really what God has called me to do. And so I, I speak at churches and conferences and, and I also um, started a YouTube channel, as you mentioned, uh, a YouTube show called the Beckett cook show. I, the reason I use that name is because it was too hard. Every time I tried to think of a name, it was already taken. So I just was like, okay, I've just got to do my name. So <laughs> it'll be available. So, and I, and on my show, it's a weekly show. And I just talk about, cause this is the one of the biggest things that, you know, I, cause I, I, believe the lies of the culture for so many years of my life. I bought the lies. And, and so once I, after I got saved and I understood the truth that there was objective truth in the world and in, and in this postmodern world where allegedly there is no objective truth and everything is subjective. I finally knew that there was objective truth. And I, and so the show is all about, looking, examining the lies of the culture, looking at the lies of the world and, and then, and uncovering the biblical truth underneath those lies. And so, and it's such a passion of mine to do that because again, I was so caught up in those lies and I, I just want to help people, especially Christians under even, even Christians who, because I, the culture is encroaching so much upon the church, obviously. And, And so it's so vital for Christians to understand the lies that they're not even seeing and that they're, that they may be blind to and, and what, where those lies come from and, and how those lies are disseminated and what they, you know, and then what the truth is behind the lie. So that I'm really passionate about that. And so I, that I've been doing that for like four months now. And so (laughs) So yeah, that's kind of what's and then, and I people can contact me if they want on uh, beckettcook.com is my website. But um, but yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm sure on that website does it list your your speaking engagements as well where people can check you out it, if you're in the area. Well, I I actually just took down that page because. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody of a close friend of mine was like, maybe you shouldn't publish where you're speaking. Like you might get assassinated. I don't know. So I was like, yeah, maybe you're right. Else, maybe I should just take that down. So I, I don't know. I'll, I don't know if I should have it up or down, but no, I think listen to your friend's advice. Don't, don't, uh, don't put it back up. That, that could, that could be some wisdom there, but uh, yeah. 
yeah, telling everyone to, to check out the Beckett Cook Show on YouTube and, and the book that we've been talking about is A Change of Affection, a gay man's incredible story of redemption that is through Nielsen Books. Um, who knows if it'll be at Amazon? Uh, it's on Amazon. Yeah, it's Thomas Nelson, Thomas Nelson Books. Nelson. But yeah, it's it's on Amazon. It's on Barnes and Noble and ChristianBook.com and anywhere books are sold. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I would encourage others to, to check it out. It's an, an excellent book. And thank you so much for writing it. And thank you for taking the time to come on the show today. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. Yeah.